just how big an issue is water damage to buildings in Australia and what are the possible health issues from mould biotoxin exposure like chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS. Join Amy Skilton in her comprehensive course Unraveling SIRS WDB which will give you the appropriate skills to both screen and manage your patients on their return journey to wellness. For more information and to register, please go to bioceuticals.com.au and click on the Education tab. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Dr. Francesca Panzeroni, who's the founder and CEO of Anangu Nankari Chutaku Aboriginal Corporation. That's ANTAC. Did I say that right, Francesca? Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Panzeroni travelled for four years across South Australia from 2008 to 2012 to document the status of Aboriginal traditional medicine from a legal and policy perspective, as well as in clinical settings. The findings of her research are articulated in Hand in Hand, Report on Aboriginal Traditional Medicine. Since 2013, Dr. Panzeroni and the Nankari, the Aboriginal traditional healers, have been engaging with mainstream healthcare services to provide Aboriginal traditional healing treatments in clinical settings. The recognition of Aboriginal traditional medicine and traditional healers as legitimate traditional healthcare practitioners continue to be at the core of Dr. Panzeroni's work. And I warmly welcome you back to FX Medicine. Dr. Panzeroni, how are you? Thank you, and very well, thanks. Uh, thank you for having me here. Now, we first met at the NHAA Centennial Conference in earlier 2019, where we had a short interview, and it really piqued our interest because this is an incredible topic, and you've done incredible work, and indeed the Nankari healers have done their incredible work in a clinical setting. But I, I want to go first back through the beginnings of your travels and, and indeed why you embarked on this journey. Yeah, sure. Um, I didn't embark on this journey because I was uh, shocked by the fact that uh, in the work of the World Health Organization, uh, particularly in a worldwide review about uh, traditional complementary and alternative medicine around the world, there was no mention at all about uh, Aboriginal traditional medicine in Australia, as opposed to, you know, other indigenous modalities of healing in other countries. So um, I think it's pretty well known that uh, the World Health Organization has uh, a specific department uh, working and liaising with um, national states uh, <coughs> with the main goal of... Uh, um, incorporating, integrating uh, traditional and alternative modalities of healing within national healthcare systems. Um, so this applies also to Australia within the Western Pacific uh, region of the World Health Organization. Um, but um, interestingly, interestingly, there has never been a mention of Aboriginal traditional medicine 
in, uh, in the international literature in general and particularly within the world of organization. So this was uh, what really sparkled my curiosity, um, my surprise, and uh, yeah, my intention to find out why, what had happened, um, how come that, you know, 60,000 years of history and clearly also Aboriginal healing practices yeah. uh, have not uh, been uh, considered as part of, um, you know, uh, whether within or outside the healthcare system in Australia. So what were you doing before this to then look at the Nangari healers? What was happening in your life, in your professional life, to actually think about this? Yeah, I had uh, recently graduated. Um, I had finished my PhD in law at the law school uh, in Sydney. And, um, and my PhD was on Indigenous people's rights determination right. and, public, and public policies. So actually, by the end of the PhD, I got really interested in Indigenous health policy in Australia. So but you know, there was no time and no space uh, <laughs> to include it in my PhD. So then I got a contract as a lecturer at the University of US, uh, USW in Sydney. And, um, yeah, just um, very uh, intrigued by um, the possibilities of um, uh, incorporating indigenous people's rights and self-determination through uh, public policies. Yeah. And so that I wonder, uh, oh, you know, I wonder if, uh, you know, there is a way of uh, uh, finding out and incorporating the... Uh, um, indigenous people's rights uh, to uh, indigenous uh, medicine through public policies. So um, that's what was happening in the not before I embarked into my travel, specifically to South Australia. And so, why South Australia? How did you, how what? How did you become introduced to the Anangu people? Yeah, well, I didn't choose. Uh, I didn't pick South Australia out of the uh, among the other states in Australia. What happened is that I was looking for some information, and the only person who replied to my emails was uh, um, uh, Toto Sonkuri, who is a Naranga elder from Port Pierce here in South Australia. Right. So, yeah, so he rang me back and uh, he said, um, um, you know, I don't know much about Nankari, but, you know, we do have. Uh, Aboriginal traditional healers traveling from Central Australia and coming to Sijuna. At the time, he was the CEO of the Sijuna Aboriginal Community Control Service. So he said to me, why don't you come down when we are young? I said, okay. So my next uh, you know, teaching break, I was on my way to Sijuna. And uh, from there, I actually, you know, I started to learn and to find out that uh, you know, the reality, uh, you know, at the community level was very much different from what I was reading, you know, mm. on, um, on, in the books. So, yeah. Yeah. so I embarked with this process of interviewing uh, anyone within the health system who had some kind of, some kind of familiarity with the work of the Nankari in particular. So Nankari is, you know, Gila traditional healer in Pichanjara and Yankunjara language. So um, traditional healer from the central desert area. Until a friend of mine who was working um, with another organization um, 
just invited me to go up to the communities and introduce me really to the Nankadi. So she knew what I was trying to do. And, um, and as well, my dream was be to meet uh, at least one of them and just have a chat. <laughs> but then, of course, you've got the corridors that you would have had to have walked to get the traditional healers uh, approved, accepted by the hospitals. Was that hard work? Was that, you know, knocking your head against a brick wall for a long time? I think that here in South Australia, you know, uh, I think kind of the groundwork uh, was already done in a way because when I started, uh, you know, researching on what was happening within the health department, I actually found out that, you know, the Nankari were actually already visiting the hospitals and some organization on an ad hoc basis. It actually, you know, the original um, um, branch, uh, the original unit within SA Health was already trying to formalize a way to incorporate the traditional healers. Um, so, you know, there was already an inroad there. Um, oh. But uh, I think I think that yeah, because um, at least here in South Australia, uh, because of the high level of um, um, movement uh, of the healers and the families, so you know they were kind quite used to have uh, to see them coming through Adelaide, and um, at the community level, you know, there was a you know pretty good understanding of the work of the Nankari already. In South Australia. Right. But other states, if you talk about Sydney, you know, it's a completely different story. Um, but here in South Australia, in a way, I was lucky because uh, they were already, attempts were already being made uh, to find a way to get the Nankin, at least on an ongoing basis. Um, it kind of worked uh, to a certain extent, um, but, you know, uh, to the intent to establish uh, a solid policy didn't go through because, um, you know, I think it's, they didn't have a counterpart to talk to. What I mean is that, you know, uh, as it often happens, policies are articulated and discussed, as, uh, you know, within uh, <laughs> office buildings. Yeah. Uh, but, it's, uh, you know, the Nankari uh, were not uh, included in these discussions. So, I don't know, in a way it was good because there was already an openness and, you know, it was already a process uh, happening within the health, the original health branch in particular, which was excellent. But there was not, the other side was not uh, consulted, uh, I think, in a proper way. So that when I met the Nankari, um, you know, I could see that, uh, you know, on one side there was the health department open to the possibility to get yeah. an anchor in, you know, within the within clinical settings. Yeah. On the other side, there was this group of Nankaris who became, you know, my friends and my family who were ready, and uh, all they wanted to do is to travel and heal people and communities. Mm. So, you know, and I, you know, happened to be there in the moment in which there was, you know, they kind of came all together. I... I didn't go there with a plan. I had no idea what to do. You know, really, I was still, you know, pushed by my curiosity. And I really, want, really, really wanted to find out why, you know, they were not uh, included in any 
um, you know, policy frameworks, including the closing the gap, uh, national policy frameworks, right, um, right. which is even, you know, more su- surprising from my point of view. Um, so I wonder, I mean, why, you know, even the closing the gap indigenous policy frameworks doesn't even consider. This comes up time and time again about a lack of consultation. So what what is the consultation process um, that you had to go through? And indeed, what should we be doing to include Indigenous healing for Indigenous peoples? I think that it has to be a real consultation process and not a tick box exercise, as often happens. So, you know, I have seen in communities in different programs, you know, meetings held as a consultation process, and only you know a couple of people out of hundreds of people in the community attended that meeting. So, can we call that a consultation meeting? Um, so, what happened with me at the Nankari? It was um, it was different because um, you know on that side they really wanted to do something. So it was um, when I would arrive there, they already knew what they wanted. So, you know, and uh, I think at least with the people I work with, you know, it's always really being uh, dangerous to generalize, you know, in many areas. But um, um, I found that they, the animals, they, you know, they are very straightforward. They know what they want. They know what to do, you know. Um, so, you know, there is not a lot of talk no? about, you know, what they say. It's what's in their mind. And, uh, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of words around that. So, um, I think that, you know, personality-wise, is that we kind of uh, was the right match because um, I'm not a big, you know, very talk talkative, <laughs> and I'm pretty straightforward and direct. So, you know, if um, there is something to do, this is what I say that, you know, uh, in a very simple and uh, clear way. So um, my advice uh, would be, you know, to really get to know the traditional healers in other areas, uh, and but um, first of all, get to know what they want. And it would obviously be, you know, different for various areas, like you know the Wiradjuri people around, you know, from Griffith, Leeton, right through to Cowra, that sort of area. I so, mean, uh, we don't know. Um, you know, like. I, you know, my dream, Angie, was always when I started to to do this um, consultation um, process or research, whatever you want to call it, uh, Australian-wide. You know, it would be fantastic to have the opportunity to actually travel and uh, yeah, just meet the healers all across Australia and uh, hear what they think and what they want. Perhaps in the future, I don't know if I would yeah. <laughs> have this um, opportunity. Uh, but um. You know, we don't know until we talk to the people in That's the right. communities, to the healers, because you can have, uh, you know, some healers who might prefer just to keep uh, um, practicing their healing within the families, within the communities, without being engaged within the health service. It's a possibility. Um, so, it, it really, you, the first step is really, you know, talking you know, on uh, at a very um, ground level with the healers and uh, find out uh, what they want. So when we're yeah. talking about the contribution of Aboriginal healing practice 
within, you know, a, a Western healthcare settings, if you like to term yeah. it that way. Um, you know, I guess the the first and foremost point is respect given to traditional healing practices, but there's also an employment pathway, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and indeed, uh, our organization's main goal is to create an employment pathway um, within the health system, and uh, so that you know they are recognised as legitimate healthcare practitioners. Um, so basically, what I've done with uh, you know together with Nankari, um, I tried always to look around and look for possibilities uh, um, to create inroads within. Uh, healthcare settings uh, and to find way to employ the Nankari as whether on a you know casual basis, whether on an ad hoc basis, whether on a uh, ongoing basis, so that they could actually, you know, be remunerated for for their work and at the same time, you know, to keep maintaining and practicing their own uh, healing practices. Um, so um you know, you have different uh, situations, different uh, um, settings. Yep. So uh, I always, uh, you know, have a very flexible approach. Uh, um, um, so it's um, it's really to find the place in this modern society for the traditional knowledge system to thrive. Um, and, uh, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, integrative models, what we are trying to do is not meant to be an integration whereby, um, you know, the Aboriginal traditional system of knowledge is uh, uh, collapsed within the biomedical model, but it's uh, first and foremost the recognition that the two systems are uh, founded and constructed on uh, completely different uh, epistemological uh, foundation. So, you know, I think some attempts to incorporate in Ankeny in the past have uh, failed because what they were trying to do is to adapt uh, the, you know, training modules and the justification and um, accreditation processes that uh, established within uh, the uh, biomedical model to, you know, a cultural knowledge system. Yeah. So you can't do that. I was going to ask about that, about the preferred healing practices that are used, um, you know, what sort of therapies are used, particularly in a hospital setting. And I was, I was, I'm interested in how they've been accepted by orthodox medicine. I mean, it must have, must have started off quite tenuously, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, it varies depending on location. So, um, it, um, um, I mean, a great contribution of pain uh, healing practices, uh, I think, is, uh, on a physical level, and I'll give you an example, um, pain relief and pain management. Now, you know, if you, if anyone knew that, you know, instead of taking, you know, 10 Panadol a day because you suffer from chronic uh, from a chronic pain condition, uh, instead, you know, with maybe two or three um, healing intervention by the Nankari, your pain can be managed without, you know, um, an intake, uh, such a, you know, high intake of um, uh, painkillers. Yeah. So what would you do? Yeah, sure. So, so, you know, I think the very first 
the outcome that I have learned um, by just you know, being with them and delivering the service then is uh, the significance of the capacity to identify where the pain is and to, you know, literally and practically take it out, take out the pain. Yeah. So the intervention, uh, it's, a, it's a hands-on intervention. So a lot of people ask me if it's like a Reiki or other modalities. It's not. It's, uh, it's hands-on. It's um, very specific, uh, pretty quick. They know where the issue is. They work on that point or points, mm. and they really, with their hands, pick out the pain. Um, from a spiritual, emotional, psychological point of view, I think the greatest contribution, uh, among others, is uh, you know the introduction and the consideration of uh, you know the human spirit as part of uh, our body and our health and well-being. Now. The interpretation of uh, spirit and the you know spiritual life uh, changes from culture to culture. Yeah. In very briefly, in within uh, the Anangu, the original traditional healing culture, they see the spirit as an organ. So as uh, you know, a very core <laughs> uh, organ of your body. So it's like it's like the heart. Yeah. So they can't think about a human being without the spirit. They always tell me, you know, Kunga, if the spirit is gone, you can die. Yes. So, yeah, so, you know, you can see the results just by the way when this, they can feel or see if the spirit is out of place, so it should sit in the middle of the chest. If it's, uh, if, if it's uh, misaligned or yeah. out of the body, they can put it back and people, you know, feel better physically, emotionally, psychologically. That's really amazing like when you consider that australian aboriginals have been cut off from the rest of the world if you like for you know 60,000 odd years and yet there's these similarities between the misplacement of our spirit if you like with let's talk about tcm you know let's talk yeah. about indian ayurveda um it's that's really interesting that this is a commonality I personally think, Andrew, that, um, you know, if we look back at maybe, you know, thousands of years ago, mm. um, you know, there must uh, have been a tradition, healing tradition all around the world, uh, you know, uh, very hands-on uh, ways and uh, uh, ways of treating each other. Uh, and some knowledge, I think, you know, with uh, with time has been lost or has been... Uh, Misinterpreted uh, with, misinterpreted with uh, you know, the surgeons of, um, uh, you know, institutionalized religion, if you want, uh, um, and all that um, uh, scuff, you know, institutional scuff holding within which we live. Mm. So, mm. whether it's political, whether it's uh, um, religious. Um, so, I think at the foundation, so there is a knowledge which is that in you know, it um, belongs to the human human history, and I and now I'm not surprised anymore to see commonalities between uh, say, some healing practices in India uh, and the Aboriginal traditional healing yeah. practices. I think there is a common uh, knowledge, and common knowledge is and systems and practices. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Point. Yeah, there were just um, practices um, all across. Uh, 
the world in different communities. So there's two points that I sort of am taking away from this, and one is that we have to be sensitive to various cultures. For instance, some react to pain more vocally than others, other, uh, you know, whereas others are, are very private about their pain. We're talking, let's say, Mediterranean versus Asian experiences of pain. And the other point that I'm taking away is that um, when we've got such an issue with, you know, opioid abuse, pain experience of the population and the conundrums of treatment, we really need to look at at various other options um, to look at pain relief. So this is certainly seems to be a a successful approach. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, we have some um, um, people who have actually... You know, with the intervention of the Nankari, actually they have uh, um, reduced the intake of also antidepressants. Ah, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so not only pain, pain, uh, pain killers. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, that it's uh, in the best, well, the best scenario would be, you know, that, you know, different modalities working uh, hand in hand, you know, working together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, one should uh, supplement the other when, uh, you know, the other cannot have a good result. That's something I wish orthodox would medicine would listen to. When you don't have a good result with orthodox medicine, it would seem medically prudent that you would look elsewhere. Um, but, but anyway, so I was going to ask, though, Francesca, about um, were there any concerns with safety when you started the program? Uh, yes. Um, it, um, discussions, uh, you know, were held in terms of safety uh, issues, also, you know, insurance issues and so forth. Um, but, you know, for example, in within SPA Health and also with the um, um, contract agreement we have uh, with the Northern Ireland Local Health Network here, um, you know, the... A risk um, assessment uh, has been done, and uh, the issue of safety, um, you know, has been you know, classified as a very low risk uh, intervention because um, you know there is no ingestion of uh, substances, uh, so the mankari do not prescribe, don't give any substances. Right. Okay. Um, so there is a use of um, um, some. Um, um, ointment, which is made with uh, natural natural uh, products, uh, so just you know, like a medicinal plants, some uh, bush, um, sorry, bee wax and um, olive oil, yep. and uh, and also you know there is no um, manipulation of uh, bones, uh, you know, um, so there it's described within uh, you know the policy or guidelines as a light touch, so. Um, yeah, um, I think we we are lucky in a way that uh, you know there have been some senior administrators within you know these health departments which uh, you know can see that uh, you know the Nankarin Convention uh, does not um, uh, um, cause uh, you know like a risk of you know um, yeah it doesn't arise safety issue yeah. Was this a choice of the um, Nangari or was this a, a safety aspect to say, look, we can't have um, ingestion of indigenous herbs because we don't know their action with orthodox medicines? Yeah, that could be an issue. Um, 
I mean, in this case, uh, the Nankari, you know, they don't uh, have like an additional plant that they want to give to the patient. But in this case, but you can have other cases or in other areas where there might be some, you know, the use of some uh, herbal um, processes or... Yeah. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's a pity, again, you know, when... You are uh, dealing with these issues within um, a health, you know, department. Uh, yeah, it, I, I'm sure it will pose some issues of everything. What about when the when the indigenous people get out of hospital, they go back to their home? Do they embrace their normal indigenous medical system there in its totality? It depends. Um, not in its totality. Um, I think realistically. Also within remote communities, uh, there is an understanding that uh, what they call it, you know, new illnesses, uh, or, you know, white fellow illnesses, cannot yeah. be treated by the traditional healers. So, yeah. And um, so, you know, even in the remote settings, uh, there is, uh, you know, a primary healthcare clinic, mm-hmm. and uh, there are the Nankari or other healers, they call other ways in different areas. Um, so it, it's not, uh, you know, um, oh, we just go with our traditional healing. Uh, it's always, you know, both of them, depending on what the issues are. Yeah. And, you know, because realistically, if someone has, uh, you know, kidney failure, diabetes, uh, cancer, you know, serious heart conditions, uh, the healer can help with, uh, you know, shooting the pain uh, and, you know, some... Uh, side effects of some medications, but you know you need really to be treated by the biomedical system. Yeah, because they don't, you know, they are um, they're not. We want to call it traditional illnesses, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though the Nankari can help, you know, from a spiritual point of view, you know, we have had a lot of people with cancer, and the Nankari always said, you know, I'm not gonna treat. The cancer, you know, just per se, yeah. uh, but I can help you to feel better. Yeah. And uh, some people come here, you know, during and after the chemotherapy treatment they go through. Yeah. And they do feel better. So they help, you know, with uh, the, you know, um, um, the flow, the, the, the better blood circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, Pain, you know, like nausea, vomiting, headaches, migraine. People can't sleep, um, you know, sometimes, and they, they they can help a lot with that. Right. And, um, well, even from yeah, a biochemical yeah. process, you know, if you ease how somebody's anxiety um, is about their condition, particularly, let's say, cancer, then you're taking away a catecholamine or reducing a catecholamine, which will progress with metastases because catecholamines... Uh, one of the routes by which um, metastases anchor into bones. So, you know, there's this biochemical reason, if you like, for that um, that method. So I see a win-win both ways there. Exactly. I'm just I, I'm wondering how the how the the Caucasian, how the white man doctors though are coming on board with this. Are they, are they embracing it? Are they seeing this as a, a real benefit to them? It varies, again, a lot. Um, it depends on uh, the level of familiarity they have uh, with the healer. Yeah. Uh, because you can have a doctor... Actually, you know, recently I've had, uh, you know, a few doctors 
you know, coming to the clinic or referring some of the uh, patients. Uh, and they are open to um, uh, different modalities. I mean, recently I had a, a psychiatrist and um, another a doctor, I didn't know them. And uh, they actually, you know, just openly admitted that they can see the limitations of the new biomedical model. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what we're doing is not working. That's right. And uh, we need something else uh, to help us. Uh, um, so I truly believe there are a lot of, you know, um, uh, good-hearted doctors, so, you know, very open, uh, you know, to understand better how we function as human beings and what can be done differently or better for our health and well-being. We are open. So then refer actually the patients here to the clinic. So um, on the other side, you know, you have, um, and I've met, you know, different, uh, uh, not a lot, I have to say, because I don't have direct contact with doctors a lot, um, who have never met any healers, they don't have any idea what to do, how to do it. Uh, so, you know, this, I remember when I was traveling across South Australia interviewing some doctors and those who had spent most of the time in metabolism settings, they didn't yeah. have clues. So but I don't know what you're talking about. So well, we need yeah. your open-minded doctors to be teaching their peers. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There are, there are, there are. You know, I've met a lot, I have to say. Um and like um, I can mention, like Doctor, I don't think he minds. Uh, Doctor Clayton Spencer is the executive director of the Western uh, New South Wales uh-huh. uh, Health Network, and uh, that's like an open, you know, <laughs> very open-minded doctor who actually, uh, you know, opened the door, the hospitals doors for us for the Nankari wow. in most of the hospitals in New South Wales, Western New South Wales. So, um, you know, he. Um, I'm not sure if, um, you know, there is the SBS has covered a story on SBS and actually, you know, he says, you know, if, um, you know, he says, I'm not, I'm not sure whether it's a placebo effect or whatever it is, you know, if uh, eight out of ten uh, patients come out from the consultation room with the healer and who say that they have no pain, um, for me, it's just that's right you know and you know what from from a white man perspective from even a skeptic's perspective you know so the orthodox medical model would be entrenched in this and my approach would be if you're going to get an, an incredible cost saving from employing the nangari healers to come in and help these patients and you're going to have a massive cost saving on pain medication and a health outcome improvement with reduction of opioids, yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think there's still a lot of uh, steps to be taken, you know, in that sure. direction. But we have started and uh, I really hope that, you know, uh, we get to collaborate uh, closer with the doctors, you know, because, yeah, um, yeah I think it's, uh, it's a good opportunity to get the best uh, out of the two worlds and uh, make people feel better. That's right. Well, what about data collection, Francesca? Is there data being collected that shows these improvements in various health outcomes? Yeah, we have... Um, 
collecting the interventions that uh, we make um, since the very beginning. Uh, but uh, and uh, you know I want to develop a research branch here within Antarctica. Uh, but to tell you the truth, I didn't have time to do that. So gotcha. <laughs> I'm starting now, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, the next uh, my next obligation will be on that, uh, providing an evidence-based uh, document, which um, yeah shows uh, what kind of interventions the Rankery um, have been doing, what kind of healing methods. Uh, and more the results are. So, um, yeah, just stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. And what are your hopes or the hopes of the healers to roll out these programs to other areas to help other other peoples? Yeah, I hope that, um, you know, the healers uh, will have the opportunity to, you know, share the experience now with Antag in working clinical settings with other dealers uh, across Australia. And actually, it's already happening because we have been called in Western Australia for uh, some consultations with traditional healers in the you know, different regions. Uh, um, and uh, because that's uh, what's happening actually now, which is really positive, is that the health departments in other states like in New South Wales, Western Australia and Queensland are yeah. including traditional medicine within the huh? uh, policy frameworks. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Somebody heard about it. And um and they we have already made a trip to Perth and we have engaged with some health professionals, uh, um Western Australia Health and we are going again. Um because they wanna roll out a uh, you know, a similar program in Perth, uh, Western Australia. Yeah. So. And is this yeah, is, is this in uh, in an urban hospital setting or in a rural hospital hospital setting? I'm not sure that in both uh, areas. Um, so that's why we're going, and uh, and we are very happy to give any help. Uh, you know, is needed. Um, both, you know, you know, to the uh, health. Uh, um, professionals, um, you know, the bureaucracy and, and to the communities and the healers. Because, you know, we have faced that overcome a lot of, of the hurdles that I'm sure they are dealing with now in, that, in, in different areas. So, yeah, I think that there's a huge potential for... Uh, the inclusion of Aboriginal traditional healers across Australia in the near future. I think it's already happening. That's, yeah. that's incredible work. I've got to say, you you and the healers have done an incredible job of not just realising that there was a deficit, but, but changing it. Like, it's awesome work. It's incredible. Thank you, Andrew. Um, it makes me very happy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We're so well done to you. Um, and I might say to our healthcare practitioners who are listening, um, you can access uh, Francesca's book, Hand in Hand, Report on Aboriginal Traditional Medicine, and it's available from antac.org.au. Dr. Francesca Panzeroni, thank you so much for your work, and thank you to the Nangari from Antac for their work as well. Thanks to you and, and for giving me and the leaders uh, this opportunity. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to our story. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook.
If you're a regular visitor to the FX Medicine website, you would have seen many of our great infographics. These are all now available for use in your clinic. You can download them for free. And the high-resolution versions are available for purchase as A3 or A2 posters or as a digital file. Simply click on the button beneath your favourite infographics at fxmedicine.com.au.